really nice to see everyone uh, in person. Uh, and good morning to those uh, who are in dialing in virtually as well. Nice to see you too. Uh, it's great to be together again. Um, I want us to do a little exercise before I start. Hopefully uh, on your chair, there's a little piece of paper and a pen. I know there are some spare ones around. Um, so if you need, with your mask still on, you can just go to an empty chair beside and you'll find uh, a pen and paper. And very simply, I want you to do one thing, and you can do this at home as well. I'm just going to take a minute or so, and I just want you to think, what would your perfect day look like? What's your perfect day? What would happen? So morning, afternoon, and evening, what would you do? What would happen to make it a perfect day? So we're just going to pause for 60 or 90 seconds, and you can think about that. You got a, a bit of a sense of what a perfect day might look for you. I know we're wearing masks, but would anyone like to shout out one or two things that are part of their perfect day? <laughs> Make dinner. Play your guitar. Okay, nice. Anything else we can hear? Doten? Sleep in. <laughs> Concert? A stress-free day. Anyone else? The beach? Seven meals? <laughs> well, you might want to, you know, just keep that piece of paper with you. Share it when you get home uh, with family and friends. What is part of your perfect day? But I wonder, from what you've got written down, if the weather changed, will that still be a perfect day for you? If it started raining? Or if... You still got to do your seven meals, play guitar, and go to the beach. But your kid was in a bad mood, or your sibling, or your friend. Would it still be a perfect day? Or, I don't know, maybe you did something the day before that you hurt someone or you said something, and that still sort of stays with you. You have that little bit of, of, a, of a bad feeling at the back of your head. And even though you got the seven meals, Anna sleeping with Merv, would it still be a perfect day? All these things matter. Lou Reed in that song says this, you made me forget myself. I thought I was someone else. That actually for him, he had to change, maybe, for a perfect day, or his life had to change to such an extent. What makes it a perfect day? We can have a perfect day maybe today, but then the cloud of Monday, school or work, just sort of hangs over us all the time. It's so hard to get that perfect day. But the scriptures speak of this concept called shalom. And shalom is this world of, of well-being, of connectedness. It means wholeness. It means completeness. And it is the sense that everything just fits together, that everything goes well in every area of life. Everything just fits and everything just works. Someone defines it as this. It's a, it's a relational thing. It's about every part of life, every relationship. Um, so this is the definition. When a person dwells at peace, in all his or her relationships. The relationship with God, the relationship with themselves, the relationship with other people, and the relationship with nature.
when all those areas of life, there is peace, there's a sense of connection, a sense of well-being, then everything just comes together and everything fits. Now, we've been doing a series on the cross, the crucifixion, okay? Oh, there's books at the back for kids if you would like at any stage. Um, you can come grab a book and bring it back uh, and read it with whoever you've come with if you'd like. So please feel free to get up to get that book. So this concept of shalom, this sense of well-being, maybe not quite a perfect day. It's actually deeper than that because it's this well-being connectedness in all our relationships. We've been looking at the cross, at the crucifixion, the death of Jesus. What it says in the passage that Maggie read for us today is this. It's talking about every part of life. And then when God's, uh, Paul speaks of Jesus in verse 20, it says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. This sense of shalom comes through the cross. I believe that the word peace there is not just referring to us having peace with God. It's not just the good news, which, it is, which is true, that we are now reconciled to God ourselves, we have a relationship with God, that the peace here is deeper, it is this shalom peace, and this shalom comes through the cross, the death of Jesus. Because the word peace there um, is used when, in the Old Testament translation, when they put that in the Greek, they use that word peace for shalom. But even more than that, the whole context is about all things, all things are reconciled to God. Five times in the passage that Mikey read, it has that phrase, all things. And at the start, it talks about all things were created in him, things in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. All things means all things. So all things in this world are going to be reconciled to God through the cross. The cross is this, this cosmic effect that it affects every part of our world, not just us and our own relationship, God. It says something similar in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. It talks about the plan, the plan which God purposed in Christ that has taken effect in Jesus, in the, the person of God himself, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That phrase, all things again. All things are impacted and affected by the death of Jesus. So when we come to think of the cross, we, we, we looked at all these different things, these different pictures of the cross and what it has done. I want us to think big, that it is of cosmic significance, the death of Jesus. All things, everything is impacted by the death of Jesus. Now that raises a question, a question of how, how does nature, how are things in heaven, how are all these things reconciled to God through the cross? We find it a bit easier when we just think of ourselves and our relationship to God. But how are all these things affected? I want to I want to sort of delve into two reasons here. I think there's two. I hope there's two. 
I'm going to say there's two, and hopefully you'll agree with me afterwards. The first is in the passage, and I think that's quite clear. As it's talked about all things in, in that lovely, it's like an early poem or a hymn, verses 15 to 20. That's, that's the picture of all things, the shalom through the cross. And then straight away, in the next three verses, it starts to talk about us. That we were alienated from God because of our sin, our evil behavior. And now through the cross, through the blood that Jesus shed, we are reconciled to God. And it's there talking about this picture of the cross as forgiveness, this picture of the cross as cleansing. Because it says that we have now that evil, the stain of our evil behavior has been, been washed away. We're without blemish, free from accusation. So we know that. that that's maybe our classic picture of the cross, of being washed clean. But it, that's part of the argument. It flows from the all things. So this impact on us is helping to change all things, including creation, the whole world. It's part of the same argument. One flows from the other. And I think that makes sense because we are made in the image of God. Humanity was the pinnacle of God's creation. We're made in God's image. We had a role over the rest of the created order to be stewards, to tend to creation, to take care of it. And so what we did affects the rest of the world. And so when we fell into sin, that upset the perfect order of Eden. It was thrown upside down and all was affected. And when that is reversed, it helps bring everything else back into order. There's this striking phrase in the prophet Hosea chapter 4. When it talks about the sin of Israel, and that's what the prophet is, he's speaking to them, telling them about all the problems in their land. He says, there's no faithfulness, there's no love. All I see is cursing and lying and murder. It says this, it says that the land mourns. Or another translation, the land dries up. Nature is impacted in some ways by our, our behavior. We're more aware of it these days than in the past with all that we read. So the first channel is if, if the stewards of creation, the pinnacle of creation, if we are changed, if we are reconciled, that will affect the rest. But when I read the Gospels, I think I see something else. I think there's a sense in which creation responds directly to Jesus and the death of Jesus, not just through the channel of us being changed, but directly. There are these hints to me throughout the gospel. And it makes sense because, as it says in Colossians 1, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He is the perfect human being. And he would be the, the perfect steward of creation that we were supposed to be. So creation responds to him in some way. We know already in the Old Testament that creation itself praises God. Psalm 148, Peter shared with us, I think over the summer, a song that he wrote about how creation itself praises God. Creation has this relationship to God in some way itself. And then when Jesus came, creation responded to him directly. He could calm the storm, calm the waves. There's an intriguing little verse after the temptation of Jesus in Mark chapter 1 where it says he was with the wild animals. 
he was with them. Everywhere else in Mark, that's a positive term. Jesus picked the disciples to be with him. It's this incredibly positive thing. Jesus was with the wild animals. He wasn't under threat by them or afraid of them. He was just with them. As if they weren't wild anymore. As if creation wasn't broken. And then when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, people praise him and welcome him in. And they're, they're told to stop that. Jesus says, even the stones will cry out. Nature itself must praise him. There is this impact, this relationship between the creator in Jesus and his creation. And when that creator enters his final week, and his death comes about, creation itself erupts in response. There are reverberations in the natural world at the death of the creator, at the death of creation's king. Darkness descends in the middle of the day. At the moment that he dies, an earthquake takes place. The earth shook, it says in Matthew. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Nature itself, the creation, is responding to its king. And what happens to him? I think there's something here. I think it's telling us this. Because in the next chapter, when Jesus rises from the dead, we see the exact same thing again. There was a violent earthquake. And an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. The cross of Jesus has this cosmic significance in our world. And I guess we have to believe that because the cross is going to clean up every part of our world which is fallen and broken and dirty. Everything which is distant from God, everything which is not perfect in our perfect days is going to be restored and remade. And God's plan comes through the cross. You see, creation, even when human creation doesn't, recognize its creator. Creation itself does. And when the one who gave life to creation ends his life, something happens. An earthquake. And when he rises again from the dead to new life, to fresh life, something happens. An earthquake again. This death and resurrection of our Messiah, the crucifixion of Jesus, brings peace, shalom, and restores and reconciles our whole world. So I want us, as we think about the cross, to see that there's something here way bigger than us. That we, as we respond the death of Jesus for us, we get swept into this grander and bigger story of how that death is restoring 
this whole world. All things, all things are reconciled to God. Let us pause. So, Father God, we thank you that your plan for the world is to reconcile all things, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, to reconcile all things to yourself through the death of Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that when you bring us into a new relationship with you, through Jesus. You're bringing us into this greater story that we are but just one part of creation and that you want to use us to roll out the rest of your plan to restore this world. Father, I ask today that you give us that bigger picture, that grander story of what you are about and of what Jesus has won for us. And Father, I pray as as we walk away today, as we reflect maybe on some of these pictures of, of quelling the storm and of earthquakes happening. Father, I pray that you help us to see what our role in this may be of how we relate and respond and take care of your world.